0: Welcome to the teachings of Pastor Mike Yost of the Springs Calvary Chapel in Habern, Idaho. Please join us as we study the Word of God. Hosanna! Blessed be he who comes in the name of the Lord. Woo. This is Palm Sunday morning, the day that we celebrate Jesus coming into Jerusalem as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We read in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 19, I'm going to pick up at verse 35, you know the story well, and then they brought Him to Jesus and they threw their own clothes on the colt and they set Jesus on Him. And as He went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for the mighty works they had seen, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees, you can go boo, Some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Now, as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now... They are hidden from your eyes. Probably one of my favorite trophies, one of my greatest treasures, is this little rock I picked up on the Palm Sunday Road coming down off of the Mount of Olives to the Kidron Valley. And as you go on down that road that Jesus would have been on this morning, riding that colt down, everybody shouting out, Hosanna, and the Pharisees tell them to be quiet. And I knew I wanted one of these because Jesus said, even if they would be quiet, the rocks would cry out, and I've got this rock, and I'm just, I pray that I never hear it because I'm busy singing and shouting the praises of God, right? But I wonder sometimes about what does this rock know that maybe I don't know, that we don't know, as we think of Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry as Jesus comes into Jerusalem. I'm just going to ask that we would pray, and then we would jump into what God would have for us this morning. If you'll bow your hearts with me, please. Lord Jesus, we celebrate you every day of the year, every moment of our life. There is no end to the gratitude, the thankfulness that we have for what you have done on our behalf. And knowing that it's not even over, it gets better and better, and the best is yet to come. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would open our eyes to see you clearly this morning, As you enter into Jerusalem in this Passion Week, this Holy Week, that we celebrate your death and resurrection, your victory on the cross in our place. We give you thanks in advance and pray now your Holy Spirit would illuminate our hearts and minds in Jesus' name. Amen? In your Bulletins this morning, I had a handout, and in that I had a little chart, the Passion Week from 30 AD, and what was going on in that week as Jesus would ride into Jerusalem on the colt. And we see that really, as you go through the scriptures, the Feast of Passover, what he, what he was there to celebrate, also known and commonly called the Feast of Redemption. And what it really is, it's a combination of three feasts that span eight days, the Feast of Passover, the Hebrew Pesach, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Hag Hamatzah, and the Feast of First Fruits, Spirat Haomer, okay? These are all clumped into these eight days. Now, this is the triumphal entry Sunday that we read about where people are shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And as we're going to see as we go through the study this morning, in the Old Testament, this would have been the, month, the day of Nisan 10. In the first month of the Jewish calendar year, the month of Nisan, it's the 10th of Nisan, this Sunday morning, this triumphal entry. I'm putting this together for you because what I want to do is cover really kind of the whole week and focus in on one special event, the Passover of that week. Well, on Monday, we can read in the gospel accounts that He went into the temple. He cleansed the temple. He would say, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. And as He went out, He cursed the fig tree, a symbol of Israel, yet it was barren. It was not producing any fruit as God had intended it. On Tuesday, we find Jesus teaching in the temple and being cross-examined, inspected as it were, the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, and all the different people are are trying to find a spot or blemish in Him, but they can't find any. and, And Jesus then preaches His seven woes to the Pharisees for all the things that they've done, misleading the people, and He finally just abandons the temple and goes across the Kidron Valley with His disciples up onto the side of the Mount of Olives where He gave His Olivet Discourse. That is his dissertation on the last days and his second coming. Then on Wednesday, it's known in the Scriptures as preparation day, where they would prepare for the upcoming Passover, and that evening he would have celebrated the last supper with his disciples. Now, a careful reading of all four Gospels will place that on this, what we call, Wednesday evening, beginning at Passover, the beginning of the day, Nisan 14. You know, the the Hebrew calendar and the Roman calendar don't exactly align because we start our days at different times. But this is that last supper, and as we go through the study tonight, you'll notice there is no roast lamb on the table because Jesus Himself is the Lamb of God who will be taking away the sins of the world. And it's at that meal that He institutes communion, that time where we all come together as a family of believers in Jesus Christ and sit at that table and receive grace from Him. Well, after the meal, He would be arrested in Gethsemane and taken out, and a series of trials begins that evening, Thursday. Uh, The trials, they roll on into the morning between Caiaphas and Herod and Pilate, and finally, He is crucified at 3 p.m. on that Nisan 14. It's at the same time that the lambs were being sacrificed for the Passover in the temple. And then beginning at sunset that night is the actual Feast of Passover that He will be teaching us about. It's a high Sabbath, that's Nisan 15. Friday, the day of Passover, Jesus will be in the tomb. And then the Feast of Unleavened Bread will begin at sunset. Saturday, is the regular weekly Sabbath. Jesus is still in the tomb. And then at sunset on that Saturday, the feast of first fruits begins on Nisan 16. And it is on that Sunday, on the Feast of First Fruits, the first day of the week, that we find the tomb is empty and Jesus is resurre- record, resurrected, you know, resurrected. Right? He is risen. Hallelujah. And so that's kind of a breakdown of the week and where we're at. This morning is known as Palm Sunday and in remembrance of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem as the crowds waved palm fronds and to honor the coming of their Messiah, the Deliverer of Israel. And yet we also know from the Scripture that while the people cheered, Jesus wept, understanding the high price that their deliverance would cost and how before the week was out, the crowds would be crying, crucify Him. Jesus' mission as Messiah... The focus of the gospel writers, the focus of the entire Bible, and certainly the focus of the Passover was summarized in Jesus' early ministry by John the Baptist when he proclaimed, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Well, many have said that, without a doubt, this was the most important week in world history, and some may wonder then why it seems as though Christmas Day gets the lion's share of the glory, the traditions, the carols, compared to the day on which God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. I remember wondering that as a child. If this is the most important week in history, then where are the carols, the trees, the lights, the gifts? <laughs> Like Christmas. Surely there should be more to this than just chocolate bunnies and Easter egg hunts. Sadly, the blame for this travesty came from the place most people would expect to find the truth. The blame for this misrepresentation and confusion came from the church itself. I became a septic, skeptic, a doubting Thomas. What I needed was desperately to put my fingers in Christ's wounds, to see His body broken for me, to see His blood shed for me. History teaches us that through A.D. 250, the early church celebrated the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection in harmony with the Jewish feasts of Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits. But by A.D. 32, they needed to convene a council in Nicaea, and it was called to settle disputes, primarily between the Western European churches in Rome and the Eastern Asian churches. Um, and tragically, at the Council of Nicaea, a spirit of anti-Semitism. the council ordained that the resurrection should be celebrated on the first Sunday in spring, according to the Roman calendar, and synchronized with a holiday of the pagan Roman fertility goddess Ishtar, which is where we get the name Easter. They did this in hopes of distancing Christianity from Christ-rejecting Judaism, and it worked. Ergo, we have Ishtar bunnies and Ishtar eggs to, to thank for that this season, enter the bunnies, the eggs, exit. The most important week in world history. Now, today, no less an authority than our previous Roman Catholic Pope, Benedict XVI, he's gone on record to say that the Roman Catholic liturgical calendar of Christ's crucifixion, burial, and resurrection is in error and should be better in- understood in light of the scriptural record. And on that, I agree. So, I'd ask you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 22. I'm going to read the story of the Passover, beginning at verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat. So they said to him, Where do you want us to prepare? And he said to them, Behold, when you have entered a city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house which he enters. Then you shall say to the master of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large furnished upper room. There make ready... So they went and found it, just as He said to them, and they prepared the Passover." You you can find this story in all four Gospels. In fact, you can read about the Passion Week, the Holy Week, these eight days of the uh, festival in Matthew chapter 21 through 28, in Mark 11 through 16, in Luke 19 through 24, and in John 12 through 20. That adds up to 30 chapters. Out of 89 chapters in the Gospels, a full one-third of all the Gospels is about this week. And central in that is the Passover meal, the Last Supper, and then the crucifixion, burial, and resurrection. Now, that's too much to cover on any one Sunday. You can say hallelujah. (laughs) Hallelujah. I heard of one at least out there. This morning's focus is going to be on the Feast of Passover, for, as we read in 1 Corinthians 5-7, for indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Now the Passover meal that Jesus was celebrating with His disciples is a celebration of God's miraculous deliverance of the nation of Israel from bondage and slavery in Egypt almost 3,500 years ago. And, uh, and it commemorates uh, the deliverance of Israel from bondage and slavery in Egypt. The, it also prophetically foreshadows Jesus' fulfillment and deliverance of the world from the bondage to sin and slavery, slavery to sin 2,000 years ago. I'm going to read to you quickly an account of the first Passover. So, we start seeing where Jesus and the disciples came to when they came to that table. We find it in Exodus chapter 12, and I'll pick a couple verses throughout, verses 1 through 28. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, "'This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, "'On the tenth of this month every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats.'" Now you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire, with unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs. They shall eat it. You shall let none of it remain until morning. what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire. And thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, so you shall eat in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike the firstborn in the land of Egypt. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. So this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses. So you shall observe the feast of leavened bread, for on this same day I will have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. For seven days no leaven shall be found in your houses. Since whoever eats what is leavened, that same person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a stranger or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwellings you shall eat unleavened bread. And you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. It will come to pass when you come to the land which the Lord will give you, just as He promised that you shall keep this service. And it shall be when your children say to you, What do you mean by this service that you shall say it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when He struck the Egyptians and delivered our households? So the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the children of Israel went away and did so just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, and so they did. Now, if you want to do deeper study, dig into this, in addition to the 30 chapters that we have in the Gospels of this week, we can also read Passover passages in Exodus chapter 6, chapters 11 through 13, Exodus 23, Exodus 34, Leviticus 23, Numbers 9, 28, and 30, Deuteronomy 16, Joshua 5, and Second Chronicles 30 and 35, and Ezra 6. That's just to, to get you started. Now, I know you probably didn't jot that all down. You can catch the YouTube and, and, or ask me, and I'll, I'll give you those. But if you want to dig in deeper, that's where a lot of these things come from. So, every spring, at the first full moon on the Jewish calendar, that's Nisan 14, for the past 3,468 years since the Exodus in 1446 B.C., Passover, or Peshach, as it's known in Hebrew, has been celebrated by retelling the story following an ordered feast. The Hebrew word for order is Seder, so it's known as a Seder feast or a Seder dinner. Now, before we get into all this, I need to give you a disclaimer. I'm not Jewish, okay? But sharing a Seder feast is not cultural appropriation. As Christians, it is very appropriate that we celebrate our Lord's Passover. It's our heritage as disciples of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Christ. It is the Passover meal with Jesus that He was sharing with the disciples the night He instituted communion of believers with the bread his body broken for us, and the wine, his blood shed for us, instructing his followers, this do as often as you do it in remembrance of me. So, whether Christian or Jew, the Lord's Passover is for you. (laughs) There's a humorous story told which underscores the common spiritual heritage that we have through Jesus Christ, our Jewish Messiah. It goes this way, A Jewish father was concerned about his son who was about a year away from his bar mitzvah but was sorely lacking in his knowledge of the Jewish life. To remedy this, he sent his son to Israel to experience his heritage. A year later, the young man returned home. Father, I thank you for sending me to the land of our fathers, the son said. It was wonderful, enlightening. However, I must confess that while in Israel, I converted to Christianity. Oi vey, replied the father. What have I done? So, in the tradition of the patriarchs, the father went to his best friend and sought his advice and solace. It's amazing that you should come to me, stated his friend. I, too, sent my son to Israel, and he returned a Christian. (laughs) So, in the tradition of the patriarchs, they went to the rabbi. "'It's amazing that you should come to me,' stated the rabbi. "'I, too, sent my son to Israel, and he returned a Christian. "'What's happening to our sons? "'Brothers, we must take this to the Lord.' So they fell to their knees and began to wail and pour out their hearts to the Almighty. And as they prayed, the clouds opened, and a mighty voice answered, "'Amazing that you should come to me.' I, too, sent my son to Israel. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The term for a Jew who receives Jesus as Messiah is known as a messianic Jew, or completed Jew, they might sometimes say. And we should make note that as followers of Jesus Christ, they are fully Christian, just as you and I We read in the book of Ephesians, in chapter 2, a famous passage you know very well, "'For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. So, we move into the Passover meal, okay? Now, it's a Jewish feast with many Hebrew words. For example, Haggadah. Now, Haggadah is a word that means the telling, and it describes a book in which you go through the story of the Exodus. Now it's kind of fun. You'll notice it opens backwards from the books that you're used to reading, because you would read right to left, and you kind of kind of go through. The... This is an illustrated Haggadah, so it's got like ni- ni- nice pictures and stuff, and uh, there's Hebrew and there's English writing. But this is the telling. This is a story of God's deliverance of His people from bondage in slavery through the blood of the Lamb. Okay? And this is the book that people will follow. In fact, at most uh, Seder dinners that you would be at, everyone would get their own pamphlet and all would follow along so they could do things in order according to the telling. So, as we will see, the meal will have many things in common with the first Passover we read about in Exodus 12. And it was celebrated, same thing, celebrated by, by Christ and His disciples. Rabbi Gamaliel, the teacher of uh, Rabbi Saul of Tarsus, right, the Apostle Paul, he said that the story must include at least three elements, okay, the matzah, the unleavened bread, the maror, the bitter herbs, and the pesach, the Passover lamb, okay? Now, before we jump into this, you should know, over the centuries, other traditions and symbols have been added, much as our Christmas traditions vary, Okay? But the fundamental elements remain just as they were on that spring evening 1,992 years ago when Jesus gathered His disciples to an upper room, the same way He and His family would have done every year since He was a boy, right? This morning's abbreviated Messianic Haggadah, retelling of the story of God's promised deliverance of people enslaved in a sinful world, will prayerfully demonstrate that God's sacrificial lamb who takes away the sins of the world is indeed none other than the Lord Himself, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus Christ. Okay. Now, remember, and we've looked at some of this, the Passover feast begins several days in advance. In fact, it begins on the 10th of Nisan. If you recall from the chart that you have in your bulletin, that is... Palm Sunday, the 10th of Nisan, the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem. In Exodus, we read in uh, chapter 12, "'On the 10th of this month every man shall take for himself a lamb without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight.'" And it goes on to say, seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses.'" And in Luke, we read, then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed, and He sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare a Passover for us that we may eat. So, according to the Exodus account, preparations begin on the 10th of Nisan with the inspection of the lamb and removing of leaven from the home. Okay? And just so that we are really clear on this, okay, it was on that Sunday, Nisan tent as Jesus rode triumphantly into Jerusalem, He was being inspected by the people over the next 14 days to make sure that He was without spot and blemish. So, in Messianic or Orthodox Jewish homes to this day… The wife begins cleaning several days before Passover to ensure that all the leaven is removed from the home. This is a floor-to-ceiling cleaning. It might even include going out and buying a new set of dishes. And that's how we get the tradition of spring cleaning, okay? And it begins with what's known as Berchat chametz. Now, this is my Haggadah. This is my Seder order. So, I'm going to use this to kind of follow through the meal, much of it similar to what Jesus and His disciples would have done uh, in preparation and celebration of Passover. So, Bechah Hametz, or it's known as the search for the leaven, okay? Hametz is the the Hebrew word for leaven. Uh, Matzah is the word for bread that's unleavened, okay? We're going to get to that in a minute. There's a Christian analogy to all of this we read uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, in verses 6 through 8. Paul writes, Your glorying is not good. Do you not know a little leaven leavens a whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you are truly unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So, we can see, according to the Scripture, there was a period of four days of introspection, and that's appropriate, right, when approaching Passover. And just to be clear, it's not 40 days of Lenten fasting, it's four days uh, just preparing, cleaning up, and making sure that everything is free of leaven, a symbol of sin. So, indeed, Christians are instructed to observe the Lord's Passover by inspecting their hearts and making confession of their sins and allowing the Lord to cleanse and purify their souls. But there's a small problem. According to the rabbis, only a man can certify his home (laughs) leaven-free. But good luck getting the man to do the cleaning. So, the rabbis, which are all men, by the way, came up with an ingenious solution they call, Berachat hametz, the search for the leaven. So, it works this way. The night before Passover, the mom plants a little, little leaven for dad to find. If she's ornery, good luck, right? She plants it there, okay, the night before. Dad takes a feather, a wooden spoon, and a napkin and he goes on an inspection through the house. Now, this is very serious, and all the children are watching, and he's looking everywhere to see if he can find any leaven because ideally the house has already been clean. Mom just left a little bit for him to find. He comes along, "Ah, I found the leaven, and very ceremoniously he will take the spoon and the feather and sweep those little crumbs into the spoon and then wrap them up in the napkin and then with great show, march off to the synagogue where he'll throw the leaven into the fire and then declare his house kosher for Passover, okay? Now, some may say, that's unfair. The wife does all the work, the husband gets all the glory, okay? (laughs) Ah, but it's the wife who gets to light the candles that officially usher in the Passover. This is called the Berkat Haner, okay? And Mother takes the Haggadah book and reading from that, lights the candles. This happens at sunset, right? That's when the day begins. And so, before the first three stars are out in the sky, she makes sure to light the candles. It's done very ceremoniously and everybody in awe watches as she prays a prayer and lights the candles the prayer goes something like this. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us by your commandments. Blessed are you, Lord our God, who makes a distinction between sacred and profane, between light and darkness, and commands us to light the lights of Passover. And the celebration begins. It is appropriate in this that the woman, and not the man, ushers in the Passover and lights the candles. For you see, it was through Mary, the mother of Christ, by the will of God that the light of the world came to us, okay? Just as the prophet Isaiah declared, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which is to say God with us. As Simon prophesied in seeing the baby Jesus, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Now, as we get ready, I want you to note the chair and the pillows on it, okay? The, in the ancient Near East, okay, in the time of the Israelites in Egypt, slaves would have to stand while they ate. We read in Exodus 12 and thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, so you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. And as far as I can tell, this is the first recorded case of fast food takeout. (laughs) But unlike the first Passover, which we read about in Exodus 12, the Seder today is observed as a leisurely meal. In the same manner as we see Christ and His disciples reclining for the feast. You might remember, they were seated or leaning around what's known as a triclinium, which is a three-sided table in the shape of a horseshoe, and it would have been a very, very low table with pillows, and everybody would be leaning on their left side and eating with their right hand. Remember, Jesus leaning back into the breast of John, right, and, uh, and, and that kind of thing we read about in the gospel, okay? So, it's a, it's a very uh, leisurely meal. Now, After the candles have been lit and everybody's seated, then we come to what's known as or the ceremonial washing. Now, there will be one at the beginning of the meal and one at the end of the meal. And you can go YouTube it and there's a zillion different ways that they'll do the ceremonial washing. But in some way, the the husband, the father, will take the water and he'll pour it over his hands one way and then he'll pour it over his hands the other way. Then he'll pour it over his hands another way and then another way and he is now ceremonially unclean, so he's able to minister the elements of the Seder meal, the uric, uric hats, okay? Now, you'll notice on the table, okay, you'll see a stack of matzah, that is the unleavened bread, or matzo, plural. In Deuteronomy 16, we read, seven days you shall eat unleavened bread with it, that is the bread of affliction. For you came out of the land of Egypt in haste, that you may remember the day which you came out of the land of Egypt all the days of your life. They didn't have time for the bread to rise. They had to just skedaddle. Remember, it was takeout. And so, they had unleavened bread or matzah, okay? Now, In Jesus' day, the matzah would generally have been disc-shaped, like a pita or tortilla, even something, I think we've got that picture on the screen of the communion elements, okay? Although today's commercial matzah looks different. It's square. It's baked very quickly on a grill at high heat, and it's pierced to prevent it from rising. The main idea is no leaven and that it doesn't get puffed up. To me, it brings to mind our Lord Jesus Christ, the bread of life, of whom Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 53.5, 50, uh, He was wounded for our transgressions, He was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement for our peace was upon Him, and by His stripes we are healed. Also, Zechariah prophesied in Zechariah 12.10, and they will look on me, speaking of Jesus Christ, whom they pierced, and you can see a lot of holes in this. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and one as one grieves for his firstborn. And so we have the unleavened bread, the matzo. Now, at the Passover table, there will be two linen bags called the matzah Okay? Uh, remember, matzo is unleavened bread. Tosh is the Hebrew word for bag. So this is a matzo bag. Okay? And one of the things you'll notice is the matzah bag has different compartments in it. It has three different compartments, actually. And what they will do is they will place three pieces of matzah, one in each compartment in preparation for the Seder meal. Now, you can go and ask the rabbi, and they go, why does a tash bag has three compartments? And the rabbi will tell you, I don't know. Um And nobody does know, but over the years, people have speculated, and they've come up with different ideas, like the bags, the three compartments represent the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Or others will say it it represents worship of Israel through the priests, the Levites, and the people. However, myself and other Messianic uh, believers think that this represents the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we'll see that as we get further on into the meal. So, that's the masatach, three compartments with the bread, the unleavened bread in it. You'll also notice on the table four cups, okay? According to Jewish tradition, the Seder is organized around four cups based on Exodus chapter 6, a couple verses between 6 and 8. Therefore, say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage. Um, I will, I'm sorry, bring you out. I will rescue you from their bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments, and I will take you as my people. I will be your God." Then you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as a heritage. I am the Lord. And so we have the four cups uh, based on I will bring you out, the cup of sanctification. I will rescue you, known as the cup of plagues. I um, I will redeem you, the cup of redemption, and I will take you, the cup of acceptance and praise, the first cup, okay? At a Seder meal, everybody will get a glass of wine, which they'll drink out of from four times throughout the meal. The first cup is called the Kiddush. That's Hebrew for sanctification and, and, and blessing. The Father lifts the cup and pronounces the blessing. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. In the same way, Jesus inaugurated his Last Supper. We read in Luke chapter 22, pick up at verse 14. Hard to do with a cup in my hand. When the hour had come, He sat down and the twelve apostles with him. He then said to them, With fervent desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes." So, Jesus sanctified His last supper in expectation of all that was about to take place that night and over the next few days, and also for the next 2,000 years with that promise that I will bring you out. So, now everything has been blessed and sanctified. Everything has a special order and significance in the feast. We come to the Seder plate, okay? On the Passover table is a Seder plate designed to hold six items, Carpus, Maror, Heroseth, Hazeret, Hagiga, and the Zoroah, each one illustrating an aspect of the Passover story. The first item is the carpus. That just simply means the greens. In this case, we used parsley, okay? And uh, there's also on the table a dish of salt water. And as we go through the Seder meal, the first thing that we do is we take these greens, a symbol of life, we dip them in the salt water, a symbol of the tears of life. As we dip that sprig of barley in the salt water and eat it, we remember our former life in bondage when our lives were immersed in tears. And we remember how God brought us out of bondage with His mighty and outstretched arm, bringing us through the Red Sea into freedom, so that by His mercy and grace we may now partake of life redeemed from tears. And you eat a little bit of the carpus. The second item is the maror, or bitter herbs, this is symbolized by horseradish. Now, there, is a little, there will be a little bit of horseradish for everybody in the meal afterwards. You're welcome to enjoy. Just caution, it's pretty hot, okay? In Matthew 26, we read this, When evening had come, he sat down with the twelve. Now they were eating, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. And each of them began to say to him, "'Lord, is it I?' And he answered and said, "'He who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. The Son of Man indeed goes, just as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born.'" And then in the Gospel of John in chapter 13, we read, "'And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon.'" Now, after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then he said, Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. And I recommend this is not a part of the meal you linger over. A little bit of horseradish. <laughs> You'll get your turn. Okay. <laughs> the next item that we're talking about is the haroseth. Uh, okay you got to say it with a sound. <laughs> Heroseth, okay? And what it is, it's a fruit and nuts relish, okay? It's supposed to symbolize the mortar that the slaves used to build the, the temples in Egypt with the bricks. It's made of things like apples, dates, walnuts, honey, cinnamon. It's yummy, okay? And uh, the question is asked, Rabbi, if Heroseth represents the the mortar of our bondage, then why is it so sweet? And the rabbi would reply, even the bitterest of our toils grew sweet when we knew that our redemption drew near. Amen? We take a little bit and eat. And amazingly, that bitter goes away, and it feels great. The bitterness of the Marar turns sweet with Hereseth. Then we have the Hazeret, or the bitter root. In this case, I've got a parsnip, okay, a bitter root, and it symbolizes even the very root of life itself can be bitter. In Hebrews chapter 12, we read in the New Testament, "...pursue peace with all people and holiness, with which no one, without which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many will become defiled." After their deliverance, most of the children of Israel wandered in doubt and unbelief in the wilderness, murmuring and complaining until they eventually perished. That root of bitterness, don't eat that if it's on the table. Since God has delivered us from bondage, don't let any root of bitterness sprout up again. And then one other item is the chagiga, chagiga. This is a hard boiled egg, okay? It's a roasted egg, and it symbolizes the sacrifice that can no longer be made since the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. So you would take that egg, you take a piece of egg, dip it in the salt water, and eat that um, since there. Salt water represents tears, and there's no sacrifice for sins anymore, according to Jewish custom. You can leave out the hagiga in a messianic meal because we know Jesus Christ is our um, sacrifice. According to the book of Exodus, the paschal lamb was central to the feast of Passover, and yet there's no mention in the, of the lamb in the meal in the upper room, only bread, wine, and bitter herbs. Interesting, right? That's because Jesus Himself is that pascal lamb. Now, remember, this is preparation day, Wednesday evening, the next day, Thursday at 3 a.m., the lambs will be killed the same time while Jesus is hanging on the cross. In John chapter 1 verse 29 we read John the Baptist, saying, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And in Hebrews chapter 10, we read, Therefore, when He, that being Jesus, came into the world, He said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book it's written of me, to do your will, O God. By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Hallelujah. No hagiga. And finally, the last item, is the zoroa, or a shank bone. And this symbolizes the fact that no lambs are sacrificed any longer in the temple because the temple has been destroyed. No more tabernacle, no more temple, no more sacrifice. According to the rabbis, today lamb is no longer to be eaten at the Passover. In Luke chapter 22, we read, Then He said to them with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And then in the order of the feast, we come to the manish, Okay? which is to say, what's the difference? Okay? And it's four questions a child will ask out of the Haggadah, and the father will answer. The questions go like this. Why is this night different from all other nights? On other nights, we eat unleavened bread, but on this night, we eat only unleavened bread. The father will answer, on this night... We eat only matzah, bread without yeast, because the Israelites did not have time for their bread dough to rise when they left Egypt in haste. Leaven represents sin that puffs up, and matzah represents purity. Then the child will ask, Why is this night different from all other nights? On other nights we eat all kinds of herbs, but on this night we eat bitter herbs. To which the father replies, On this night we eat bitter herbs to remember Israel's terrible life in slavery in Egypt. The child will then ask, Why is this night different from all other nights? On other nights, we do not dip our vegetables even one time. But on this night, we dip twice, once into the salt water and once into the haroseth. And the father will answer, on this night, we dip twice, the parsley to remind us of the tears of life and the haroseth to remind us of the hope of God's promises. And finally, the child will ask, why is this night different from all other nights? On other nights, we eat sitting Reclining, but on this night we eat only reclining. And the Father answers, On this night we recline and feast comfortably as free people. Once we were slaves, now we are free. That brings us to the second cup, the cup of plagues. Remember, I will rescue, I will sanctify you, I will rescue you. And we don't drink from this cup right away. Wine symbolizes joy, and a full cup symbolizes fullness of joy. So, we want to lessen our joy as we recall the plagues God sent to deliver us. And everybody at the table will follow suit. We will dip our finger into the glass and put a drop of wine onto the plate for each of the plagues as we recite the plagues together. So, we'll say blood, hail, locusts, frogs, lice, flies, pestilence, boils, Darkness, death of the firstborn. The tenth plague was the worst of all. God told Israel that they were to take the blood of the lamb and paint it on the top lintel and on the two side posts. Some see the symbol of the cross in this act. That night, the angel of death passed over that's the Hebrew word, Peshach passed over those homes covered by the blood of the lamb that Hebrew word means to leap or to spring. It's the word Passover. It's the act of God sparing those from death by faith who received His mercy and acknowledged His gracious sacrifice. So, today we celebrate the Lord's Passover, and we receive the second cup, the cup of plagues, and acknowledges His promise that I will rescue you. then, as you remember, there was a smaller bag. This is known as the afikomen. Afikomen is a Greek word uh, which just means that which comes after. It's often used to describe dessert, that which comes after dinner. Okay? Um, And this is the hafikomen. So the father will do something interesting at this point in the meal. He'll go to the matzatash and he'll take a piece of leaven from the middle compartment. Do you remember the middle compartment? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he will take that matzah and break it. And he will replace the half piece in the middle compartment, but the other one he places inside the afikomen. Then having done that, He'll tell all the kids, close your eyes, and then he'll sneak around the house looking for a place to hide the afikoman. Okay. It's kind of interesting when you think about it, this tradition, and then Jesus' last supper in the upper room. It's intriguing to see that the middle matza, the son, father, son, bread of life, And the Holy Spirit being broken and hidden, three days in a tomb, and found, resurrected to be shared by all. Okay? So, we've gone through these elements. Now, the feast of Passover is indeed a feast. It's a big meal. And it's a celebration of the retelling of God's deliverance of the people. Um, Now, at the conclusion of this service, we're not too far out. This morning, we have prepared a meal for everybody to enjoy. So when we finish here, you can head on down, get in line, and fill up your plates, go to the fellowship hall, and enjoy this uh, meal together with us. Um, now, if you've got your communion elements, as you came in, you can begin to prepare them. Raise your hand if you did not get a communion element, okay? Uh, some, there's some people that will keep your hand up in the air, and we'll get you, uh, there we go, Stephen, you see those hands? Make sure everybody gets one. Now, as, as Stephen's handing out the communion elements to y'all, there's a little bit of etiquette or procedure, I don't know, protocol with this. These can be tricky. Now, what you need to do is lift up the clear cellophane or plastic coating, kind of uh, peel it off of the tin foil. okay? They come separate. Peel the cellophane back to get to the bread, and then the second part is to take that foil tab, and then bend it back to open up the cup. If you do it in the wrong order, it's really hard to get the bread out after you've opened up the juice. Okay? We're not going to go right away, but you can start getting prepared. Okay, so the, the Seder meal, it can last for several hours. As I said, it's a, it's a leisurely meal now. It's full of food and fun and games like the afikoman. But then there is, at the end of the meal, that activity called the search for the afikomen, the search for that which comes after. As the Passover meal draws to a close, the children hunt for the afikomen. The father, interesting, the father will pay a ransom to the child who finds the afikomen. Then it will be unwrapped and shared by all. You see a picture of Jesus Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection. Sounds familiar. Now, reading out of Luke chapter 22, continuing on, beginning at verse 14, When the hour had come, he sat down with the 12 apostles with them, and he said to them, With fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I'll no longer eat of it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. He took the cup, gave thanks, and said, Take this and divide it amongst yourself. For I say to you, I will not drink it of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Verse 19. And this is Jesus celebrating the Seder, the Passover meal. And he took bread gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And all who call upon the name of the Lord and believe in their heart that God has raised him from the dead can indeed say, This is the bread of life. came into the world to give me life, and you can take and eat. He took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Very familiar. Now, there's still two more cups of the Seder meal, okay? The third cup is the cup of redemption. This is the cup that comes after the meal we read in the Gospels. The first cup, I will sanctify you. The second cup, I will rescue you. The third cup, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great judgments." Very interesting how God has redeemed us with an outstretched arm and very great judgments on the cross. And in Luke twenty-two twenty, 20, we read, "'Likewise, Jesus also took the cup after supper,' the third cup, the cup of redemption, saying, "'This cup is the new covenant in My blood which is shed for you. Take and drink. You may ask yourself, what new covenant? Jeremiah wrote about it in Jeremiah 31. He said, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand and led them out of the hand of Egypt, my covenant which they broke though I was a husband of them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law into their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, You know the Lord, for they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more." Now, as the meal wraps up, we have one more ritual washing, and it's rather interesting because it was after the supper that we read in the Gospel of John, and supper being ended, the devil having already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into His hand and that He had come from God and was going to God rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. You know the story. Peter says, Lord, you shouldn't wash me. And, and Jesus said, if I don't wash you, you have no part of me. And Peter's like, okay, head to toe. <laughs> and Jesus says, no, just your feet. Okay, you're clean already. But you have to receive this from me, and he did it as an example we read in the Gospels. This I do as an example that you should serve one another. So there were things that we noticed in that upper room with Jesus, that passion week on that last supper as he institutes communion. We also see the washing of the feet. he'll pray, pray, there'll sing songs. And there's something very interesting, and again, this might uh go counter to some of your calendars but we can discuss it in more detail you may have heard of a, a thing called monday thursday as you go through the biblical accounts monday thursday good friday um, at black sabbath and then resurrection sunday hallelujah right um, but as we've noticed it wasn't actually thursday night it was actually wednesday night that jesus had his meal with his disciples. But we know this is Monday Thursday. Monday is just the Latin word for mandate. Raise your hand if you like mandates. Jesus gave a mandate at this meal. That's why it's called Monday Thursday. It should be Monday Wednesday. But this is the commandment. This is the mandate that he told his disciples. A new commandment I give you. A new mandate that you love one another, as I have loved you that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. And then finally, the fourth cup, the cup of acceptance, cup of sanctification, cup of rescue, cup of redemption, and the cup of acceptance or cup of praise. One portion of the Seder meal that we didn't, talk about it in this abbreviated uh, Seder was was singing of the Hallels. That's actually all of the Psalms 113 through 118 in the Bible. Um, We read in Matthew 26 at the end of the meal, when they had summoned him, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And we actually know what song they sang because we know what the Hallels are and we know the last Hallel is Hallel 118. And in Hallel 118, it's very interesting, it happens to be the middle chapter in your Bible. And it happens that the middle verse between 1 and 29 is verse 14. And You know what the very heart of your Bible says? It says, the Lord is my strength, and He has become my salvation. Salvation is is the Hebrew word Yeshua, that's Jesus' name, and that's what the heart of your Bible teaches us. The Lord is my strength and song, He's become my Jesus. We read further in Psalm 118 in verse 19 and on to the end, "'Open to me the gates of righteousness, and I will go through them, and I will praise the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous shall enter.' I will praise you, for you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. God is the Lord, and He has given us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God, I will praise you. You are my God, I will exalt you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His mercy endures forever. And that would have concluded Jesus' last supper. But today, in the ceremony of the Seder, as celebrated uh, by Jews, Messianic Jews around the world today, there's one last thing that they have to do. At this point, I'm going to ask the worship team, come on up, we're about done. It's known as the cup of Elijah. This is the cup of Eliahu Hanavi, Elijah the prophet. It's always on the table at these meals. And it's at this time that one of the children is asked to go open the door to the house, to welcome Elijah in. It's based on a prophecy written in Mal- Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, that reads, Behold, I will send you, Elijah the prophet, before the coming and the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Now we know from the Scriptures, Elijah did not see death, but was swept up to heaven in a great whirlwind in a chariot of fire. And it's been Israel's hope ever since that Elijah would come at Passover to announce the Messiah. (laughs) Now, we know that an angel of the Lord prophesying about John the Baptist declared that he will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to make ready a people prepared for Israel. It was that John the Baptist that the angel prophesied who proclaimed, Of Jesus Christ, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We don't need Elijah's cup. We've got Elijah's God. We've got Elijah's Jesus. And finally, I want to end in the end, from cover to cover, in the book of Revelation. This is also on the handout that I gave you. For indeed, Christ. Our Passover has been sacrificed for us. Amen? And we read in the book of Revelation in chapter 5, and you can follow along on this sheet if you have it, and I looked and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain. Now, when He had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and gold bowls full of incense, which are prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying… You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. You have redeemed us to God by your shed blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. And then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing and every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as in the sea and all that are in them I heard saying, blessing, honor, glory, and power be to Him who sits on the throne, the Lamb forever and ever. Amen? So this Passover celebration, this Palm Sunday, remembering all that God has done for us, I want to just answer the question I asked early on. What's the deal? Christmas gets all the songs, all the gifts, all the, all the lights and trees and everything, and, and we miss a certain point. And again, it was, it was sad that it was the church that took it away from us. Christmas is celebrated one day a year, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is celebrated every time we come to the table. As often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Every time we sing a song of His blood, of His death, of His victory over the grave, every day, every waking moment of our life, not one day a year, every moment of every year is a celebration. Of God's victory through His Son Jesus Christ, Amen. And sometimes we just miss it because it's just all around us. Now it's our opportunity and our joy this Palm Sunday to go declare to the world, "Hosanna! Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord." Amen, Amen. Amen. Let's pray. I'll pray for the meal, and you guys will take us on out and worship. And uh, no doubt, there's going to be a long line, so some of you may want to remain in here for a minute. Uh, and just socialize, and we'll all catch up over with the food. (laughs) Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for all that you have done, are doing, and are yet to do in our lives. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you, knowing that you were going to a cross, sat down that evening with your followers and just entered into that sweetest of all moments, the breaking of bread, the spilling of blood, that, Lord, we would have communion with you. I pray, Lord, that every time we come to you in prayer, every time we come to you in your word, every time we come to you in fellowship, every time we come to you in service, we would recognize it as an act of celebrating your death, burial, and resurrection for a lost world. We thank you, Jesus, from the bottom of our heart and now receive this meal that has been prepared for us with thanksgiving, knowing that every good and perfect gift comes from your hand. I pray that you'd bless each soul in this room today. Give us health, give us strength to serve you. Give us joy in you, Jesus. Amen? Amen. Thanks for joining us today. To learn more about the Springs Calvary Chapel, please visit our website at www.thespringscalvarychapel.org. Join us in person at The Springs in Hayburn, Idaho, or here on the podcast as we worship together in spirit and in truth.